New to the living healthy lifestyle or a healthy living veteran, this is your place for honest answers. Naturally Savvy with registered holistic nutritionist Andrea Donsky and health journalist Lisa Davis. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. We have a large audience and many of you are parents and having kids can be tough. Before I bring in our wonderful guest, uh, just tell a little story. I used to uh, live next door to a woman who yelled and yelled and yelled at her children. And it really bummed me out. It really bummed my daughter out. She's very sensitive. And it was just a really hard situation. And she needed this book. It is called How to Stop Losing Your SH Asterisk T with Your Kids, A Practical Guide to Becoming a Calmer, Happier Parent. The wonderful author joins us now, Dr. Carla Nomberg. Hi, Dr. Nomberg. Or do you prefer Dr. Carla? You can just call me Carla. Dr. Nomberg was literally my grandfather. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I look around. So Carla's great, and I'm delighted to be here. It's so nice to have you on the program. I want to mention our sponsor. I usually bring them in first. I was just so excited. It is a wonderful nature care for all your feminine hygiene needs. Don't you want to put something in your body and around that area that doesn't have any toxic yuck in it? These are wonderful organic cotton really wonderful things that you should be using. So please check them out at naturecare.com. They make our podcast possible this month. Just want to give a big shout out to them. Okay, so Carla, I love the pull quotes throughout your book. Uh, A trigger is anything that revs up your nervous system and makes your buttons bigger, brighter, more sensitive, and way easier for your kids to push. So let's talk about you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what What are some of your triggers? And talk to us about how you were able to uh, get a handle on them. Yeah. So look, I the the short but highly clinical definition of trigger in the book is it's anything that makes you more likely to lose your shit with your kids, right? And <laughs> highly clinical, like I said. Um, but here's, and, and I do go a little bit into sort of the neuroscience behind that and how we go into fight or flight, freeze, freak out mode. But what I want readers to really understand is that, um, this is a very normal human reaction that we all have and anything that sort of increases our stress or activates our fear response can leave us triggered. And when we're triggered, I imagine we have these big giant buttons all over our body, right? And they just get, when we are triggered, they get huge and bright and very sensitive. They migrate right to, you know, our kids level and become super pushable. And there, there's our little kid with their fingers out ready to push. Cause that's what kids do. It's not that our kids are psychopath. It's just that they push buttons. That's what they do. So my buttons, um, you asked about my triggers and my buttons. So my triggers, let's see, some of them are pretty universal. Like when I'm exhausted, Uh, My buttons are huge and I have a very hard time staying calm when I'm sleep deprived. Um, If I'm dealing with sort of chronic pain, like, you know, I sprained my ankle and it really hurt. Chronic pain is a big one for me. You know, stress when the work piles on or I've got too much going on and I'm kind of worried and trying to hold too much in my mind all at once. I am highly vulnerable to losing it with my kids. Um, And then some of them are more kind of unique to me, like, uh, let's see, a lot of loud noise or frequent physical touch can be a trigger for me. I find it kind of stressful. And it took me a long time to realize that. And when you've got two children under the age of two, not knowing that loud noises and physical touch are triggers for you is a total bummer. Like I was basically triggered all the time and I didn't realize it. And once I realized it, you know, I could start doing things like um, finding ways to be in silence every day and 
saying to my kids who are now nine and 11, I can say to them, you know, I need a break from the touching for just a few minutes and then we can snuggle again. So I can now say that to them and they know that mommy gets overwhelmed when she's touched too much. So um, just knowing what my triggers are has been really helpful for me. Oh, that's great. You know, one of the things I tell my daughter is that after 8.30, I get really cranky. Like I'd like to go to bed between 8.30 and 9. And she likes me to keep her company when she gets ready. So I tell her, okay, you need to get ready by 8 because I'm not going to keep, if you want to go to bed at 9, 9.30, I mean, I don't like her going to bed later than that. I'm really big on the importance of sleep for our health and all that. But I'll say, look, I want to go to bed. You can stay up. She's like, no, I want you to be with me. And blah, blah, blah. I said, well, then get ready before 8.30 because that's when I start to lose my shit. That's right. And it almost, it happens almost every night. It's unbelievable. It's like, but you didn't help me with this or what about that? And you didn't get my, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, but I've told you a million times, like, if you want me happy and peppy, let's do this at eight, not eight thirty. Absolutely. And look, time of day can totally be a trigger for some people. And for some of us, if you're not a morning person, you know, that when you have to wake up and get the kids ready for school, that can be triggering for most of us, the witching hours when we're trying to make dinner, manage tired children, maybe we're not quite wrapped up with work stuff. Um, all of that can be triggering. And if you're not a nighttime person, having to be awake and functional after a certain time, it all falls apart. Um, and, and your daughter, when she is showing up and saying, but mom, I want your help, that's her pushing your buttons, right? And she's not doing it because she's a brat. She's doing it because she doesn't have the prefrontal cortex that allows her every night to remember, oh, mom wants to be done by 830, right? Her brain doesn't have that level of planning because she's a kid and that kids don't have that sort of, or teenager, I guess she is, but they don't, their brain doesn't quite work that way yet. And they're getting there. It gets better, but that's how it is. How do you get it together? So getting it together, I think, is what I'm talking about in that case is sort of managing our buttons and triggers, taking care of ourselves. Um, and I, I think of it as sort of the practices we have to do on a regular basis if we don't want to lose it. And for most parents, when we say, you need more self-care, they sort of laugh it off. I don't have time for that. That's an indulgence. So I'll do that when the kids move out of the house. And I want parents to start thinking about, these are the things I have to do every day, or at least more days than not, if I don't want to explode at my children. And look, if you're a parent out there and you don't have a problem with your temper and you never end up yelling at your kids and you're actually totally good in that regard, yay, go you. That's awesome. It's not me. And so you may not need this, but for many of us, we do need it. And so, um, look, Lisa, none of this is anything people haven't heard before, but you got to get sleep. You have to, it's non-negotiable. And if you are not getting sleep, because of any of the million things that happen in our lives that prevent us from getting sleep, whether it's a kid who's awake or the cat throws up on the rug or you just struggle with insomnia or your spouse is up and down or whatever, then you have to have a whole lot of self-compassion for yourself and you have to lower your expectations. And the way, I mean, sleep is so important. I talk to parents about this all the time. I say, look, you go out in the driveway and your car has a flat tire. You wouldn't say to yourself, oh, no big deal. I'll fix that when the kid leaves the house for college. You know, and you wouldn't go like drive around on the flat tire. You would say, okay, my day just got blown up. I'm not going to be able to get everything done. I have to deal with this. And so if you are sleep deprived because you've had a terrible night, then you have to say, all right, I am not firing on all cylinders today. I have a flat tire. I need to figure out like, what is the bare minimum I can do? And how do I slow down and get it done without, you know, dropping, breaking, losing, forgetting things and exploding at my kid. 
And if you, I'm sure we have parents out there who are like, whatever lady, I've been sleep deprived for the better part of a decade. (laughs) Of course. And what I'm saying is then this is something you have to tackle. And what that looked like for me, um, because I am highly sleep sensitive. I am one of those people who can't function at all without sleep. I ended up going to a sleep specialist because I needed help. And so if you are, and it, it made a difference. We talked about things. She gave me some strategies and tools and I, Sleep is a priority for me. And so my lights are out by 9.30, 10 o'clock at the very latest every night, because any later than that, and I'm a mess the next day. And yes, I would much rather sit up and binge watch TV with my husband, but this is where I have to be a grown up. It doesn't work. I can't do it. So there, I have all these other sort of self-care things like getting exercise every day, slowing down, um, getting a lot of support. We all need more support than we think we do. And it's hard to remember that, but I give a lot of really concrete tips in the book about here's the different kinds of support in our lives and how to access it. Um, And those are all the things that we do to help bring our buttons, cool them off, bring them down, make them smaller and dimmer and less pushable by our kids. Exactly. You know, in the book you write, although there are many ways to lose your you know what, with your kids, some are worse than others. And you talk about toxic explosions. You write, they are unpredictable, uh, disproportionate reactions that can include angry words, physical outbursts, personal attacks, shame, and blame. And I like that you say the moment feels out of control. And that's how my daughter gets because of being on the spectrum and the ADHD, they're quick to, not all, but a lot of kids are um, with those issues are quick to anger. And so when I'm looking at this, I'm feeling like, wow, I need this. I need this for her because I I keep it together. We talked about this before the show. I've never even yelled at her because I just don't want to make it worse. But I'm in a special situation. But I think for most parents, there can be a toxic explosion. I'm I'm on the recipient of those often, unfortunately. Yeah. So, but look, the difference between you and a kid is that you can construct a narrative. You know. This isn't because my daughter hates me. This isn't because I'm a horrible parent. This is because she's got particular challenges and this is how they manifest and we're working on it. Kids can't, because of the way their brains work and are still developing, they can't construct that kind of narrative. They can't say, um, oh, mom must have had a really bad day at work and probably her boss was a jerk to her or you know, she's in a fight with her mother-in-law or X, Y, Z. She got a bad big medical bill today and she's super stressed and she hasn't slept in eight years. Or, you know, kids are by nature very um, egotistical and they sort of assume that they are the cause of everything. And so what they end up assuming if we lose it with them too much is I'm doing something wrong. There's something wrong with me. Also, the other reason kids assume that is because, look, we are their sort of mode of survival. They depend on us to survive. And it's so painful to imagine, oh my gosh, what if there's something wrong with my parent or they don't love me or X, Y, Z, this person that I trust for my survival, that's too painful. So it's easier to just assume there's something wrong with me. This is my fault. Now, I want to talk a minute about toxic explosions because some parents say to me, but, you know, sometimes I just kind of snap at my kid or I yell at them because they weren't putting their shoes on. Look, I'm not super worried about that. We all yell at our kids sometimes, except you, Lisa. And we got to talk about that later because how did did you do that? Like, I had a friend once who was like, I just decided not to yell and I stopped yelling. And I was like, lady, we are on the same planet, but from two different worlds because that has never worked for me, right? (laughs) And so, look, if, if there is a scenario where you ask your kids 47 times to put on their shoes, not that such a thing has ever happened in my house, and they still aren't putting on their shoes, 
and then finally you sort of lose it a little bit. Well, you just put on your shoes. I don't see that as a huge explosion. That's not something I'm worried about. It's a pretty predictable, you know, the kid knows why you're losing it. They knew it was going to come to that. But what I'm talking about is when your kid does something, either intentional or unintentional, and you explode in a way that nobody would have predicted. And um, a classic example is, let's say your kid spills their bowl of Cheerios all over the floor and you lose it. And in a way that probably doesn't need to happen for a bowl of spilled cereal. And maybe it's because you're super stressed about something that's happening now. And that was like the Cheerio that broke the mom's back. Or maybe it's because when you were a kid, your parents exploded in these crazy ways when you made a mess. And now that you're an adult, you're back in this parent-child relationship. And when this happens, your brain goes, oh, I know how I'm supposed to respond to this. And it triggers you in a way that you might not even realize until you let loose on your kid. And so those are the kind of moments where the kid is like, whoa, what happened? Um, And they don't know. And then it kind of damages the relationship over time. And it can be really confusing to the child. Now, the good news is we can do this less often. I myself lose it with my kids a whole lot less often than I used to. And we can repair the relationship by reconnecting with our children afterwards and apologizing and talking to them about it. And I have a whole section in the book on that too. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm big on apologizing. I might not yell, but apparently I have a tone. Um, <laughs> which sometimes I hear and sometimes I don't. So I'm not perfect. And if I do something wrong or if I'm snappy or, you know, I'll apologize. I think it's so important. And and the thing you said about if you got yelled at when you spilled milk or whatever, and you go to these family patterns, um, I was talking to the woman next door. Well, we moved because she yelled so much. And I said to her, you know, we can hear you in our house when you're yelling. And she said, well, I'm a yeller and I come from a long line of yellers and that's just how we are. And I thought that is so sad. Mm. Like, why would you want to perpetuate that? And I see it as abuse. This wasn't like occasional yelling. This was like constant, right? And it's like, you're, you know, this is how I was treated instead of wanting better for your kids. It just really broke my heart. So we moved. (laughs) But look, I do (laughs) want to address that there are cultural differences and familial differences in the way we communicate with our, so in my family, I come from a family of yellers, both my extended, it's just, we are a loud, emotive clan, my crew, my extended family. And so, um, and my husband is not, he comes from a family of pretty zipped up people that when they get frustrated with you, they tend to revert to not talking to you. And so with, with like, I'll be sort of raising my voice and my husband will be like, why are you yelling at me? And I'm like, I'm not yelling at you. What are you talking about? Like, you want to see yelling? Oh, I'll show you yelling. But, you know, and so for him, if he uses a tone at all with our kids, and he is much calmer and steadier than I am, he is far less prone to lose it with our daughters. But when he does, and it happens quite infrequently, it's more like a tone of voice, like with you. And it took me a long, I was like, how does he never lose? And then I realized, oh, that is him. That's him losing it. Whereas with me, I will straight up yell. And so understanding that it looks different for all of us and our kids are tuned into that difference. They know, they know when their dad's getting cranky and about to fly off the handle, which in my mind, I'm like, Oh, he just talked to them, but that's him losing it. You know? Um, So our, our kids know, and we all have these ways of kind of losing it. What I would say to parents is if this isn't a problem in your family, then don't make it like, don't work on it. Wait until it becomes a problem, then deal with it. I'm sure you have other stuff to deal with. But if you find that 
this is happening on a regular basis or in really intense or scary ways, then it is really something that needs to be worked on. And for me, this, this didn't, this change didn't happen overnight. I really, it all started with me taking care of myself, getting sleep, getting exercise, working with a therapist around my anxiety, because my anxiety was a big trigger that I didn't realize. And now that I, you know, regularly address these issues, this is an ongoing practice for me. Um, my relationship with my kids is much calmer, much more pleasant. And um, when I do lose it, it's, it happens uh, much more infrequently and we bounce back a lot more quickly. Oh, that's great. Well, I love how you write in one of the pullout quotes. When I do explode, I'm much more likely to take a few deep breaths, do a silly dance, apologize to my kids, and have a whole lot more compassion for all of us. That's nice. So you're included in that too. Yeah, look, I um, self-compassion, when I first heard those two words, I was like, what is this? Ew, gross. I remember thinking about like Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live sitting in front of a mirror going, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh, darn it. People like me. And I was like, yuck, that is soupy, sweet and gross. And then I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I guess I'll learn about it very begrudgingly. I got to tell you, Lisa, self-compassion has probably been the single most powerful practice that has changed my life and my parenting. And I say it's a practice because it is literally something that when I first started doing it, I couldn't do it. I didn't know what I was doing. I was stumbling over my words. It all felt weird. And because I have stuck with it over the years, it is now a default response. And I'll, I'll, let me give you an example. In the past, when I would explode at my kids, I would stomp off. I'd go in the kitchen, search for chocolate, shove it in my face, all the while thinking I am a terrible parent. I'm screwing them up. I'm screwing up this most important relationship in my life. I suck at this. Like really mean thoughts in a mean voice in my head, things that I would never say to a friend or a loved one and things that I wouldn't tolerate someone else saying to me. And yet I was saying them to myself all the time. And now after years of practice through mindfulness through spending time. I think of self-compassion as a language we need to learn to speak. And until we can speak it with ourselves, we need to spend time with people who will speak it to us. So spending time with friends who were like really supportive and kind and didn't say, yeah, you're screwing up your kids. Um, and practicing even when it felt weird. Now, when I lose it, I say to myself, and sometimes I say this out loud and sometimes in my head, you know what? Parenting is hard. It's hard for all of us. Um, it's okay that it's hard. I don't have to be perfect at it. Uh, I'm having a rough day. What do I need right now? Do I need a break from my kids? Do I need to sort of power through until bedtime and I can go to sleep early? Do I need a snack? Do I need to sit with my girls on the couch and snuggle them? Like, what do they need? Are they hungry or tired or stressed or anxious? Did something happen at school? And that's why they're pushing my button so much. And when you can talk to yourself in this way, not only does parenting feel easier and less stressful, but you're less likely to explode at your kids again because you're calming down your stress response. You're coming down off that triggered place. And you're more likely to get some useful information. Like, what do I need? You know, and if you are starving, because I get super hangry. I mean, when I am angry and hungry, when I'm hungry, I get angry. It's hangry. That's what we call it in my house. Um, tread lightly around me when I haven't eaten. Um when I can say to myself, what do I need? And I'm like, oh, I need a snack. And then I go get one. I'm much less likely to lose it again, right? So self-compassion, I would say, is is the game changer. And for many folks, um, 
that's hard. It's a hard place to get to if you're not used to it. And what I can say is it, it can get better and easier and it makes a huge difference. Oh, definitely. Well, you know, your humor is great. You have something on farting <laughs> and burping, but those are really just, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not really so about farting and burping. Talk to us about those. So those are acronyms. So look, in this book, I really wanted the vo- voice and the tone in this book to be different from other parenting books. And part of what I wanted parents to come away with is this is something we can laugh about, not in a mean, like make fun of you way, but like, let's not take ourselves so seriously because this parenting thing is so crazy. And so FART is my acronym uh, to describe sort of the features of a toxic explosion. And I talk about uh, feelings, that there are always feelings involved. This isn't like, it's not an intellectual or psychological thing. We don't walk in the door and say, huh, I think I'll lose it with my kids today. At least I hope you're not doing that. It's, it's, there's a lot of feelings and emotions, um, even if we don't realize they're there. Uh, our explosions tend to be automatic and reactive and toxic. And I go into each of those. And that's really about um, explaining the difference between here's what's losing it. And here's just sort of raising your voice because the kid won't put on their shoes. So that's farting. Burps, I, I got to tell you, Lisa, I am so proud of this acronym. I can't even deal with it. Um, burps are my acronym for button reduction practices. Burp. And these are these are these self-care practices like sleep, stretching, slowing down, getting support, having self-compassion that are going to make our buttons smaller and dimmer and less sensitive and less pushable. And the best example I have of this is, is many years ago, I was able to go on a four day silent meditation retreat. Um, and it was, you know, I had to sort of move heaven and earth and rally the troops to bring in the support and everything so I could do this. And when I came home, Lisa, I'm not even kidding. I was like the freaking Dolly Mama. My buttons were so small that when the girls came up and they were like, I just smeared peanut butter all over the wall and I pooped my pants and blah, blah, blah. You know, when they start fighting with each other, whatever it is, I was like, yes, my child, I understand and I can help you. And that lasted about eight hours. Um, But, you know, and then I sort of went back to myself, but that time away where I was sleeping and really kind of not stressed and not dealing with the craziness of life and really in a very mindful place, I I could totally tell the difference when I got back. And it was pretty amazing. One of the pullout quotes, which now I can't find, it was something like, oh, they don't tell the story that you're a bad parent and you have a bad Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. This is a good one. So a lot of parents I talk to and work with, and certainly myself included for a long time, when, they, when they're when they trying to construct a narrative around why they're losing it, they land on some version of, I am a bad parent or my kid is behaving like a jerk. Now, I think these are not helpful. And while your kid may be acting in annoying ways, I think saying, you know, some parents will actually say my kid is a jerk. Um, I think that's not useful for a couple of reasons. But the, the easiest way to explain it is, Telling yourself that you're a bad parent is kind of like picking up a map and the map says to you, you're lost. And it's like, oh, all right, thanks. You know, it doesn't give you any advice on where to go, how to change, how to get to where you're going, which direction to take the first step. You feel stuck and isolated and ashamed. And it's not helpful, even if you're not making great parenting decisions. So what I like to talk to parents about is you are actually doing an incredibly hard thing. And my guess is you're doing it without the right information, resources, and support. And let's talk about, A, 
how hard parenting is. And I have a whole chapter on that. And I don't want to like be the, you know, Debbie Downer and saying to parents, oh, it's so hard. But I think it's important to remember that every day, day in and day out, we're doing this really hard thing. And when we do that, you know, we got to take care of ourselves. It's like running a marathon, you know? You got it, carbo load, which oh, I actually do all the time. Not a problem for me. Um, but you have to like train and get <laughs> sleep and take care of yourself. Yeah, let's talk about my carbs. No. Um, and if, if we talk about you being a parent who doesn't have the right information, support, and resources, how do we start to get that for you? And so in the book, I hope I'm giving parents the information they need that will offer them, you know sort of help them figure out where to take the next step. And also, you know, here's how to find the support you need here, where to get the resources. And if you are in one of those situations where you're like, I don't have any resources, I don't have any time, I don't have any money, you know, I don't have what I need to do this to make parenting easier than what I would say is what you, what you can find your way to is self-compassion. That's what it keeps coming back to. You've got to cut yourself some slack. You are so amazing. You're so dynamic. You have such a great personality. We're going to have to get together. You're just absolutely fabulous. Uh, Let's hang out. Let's hang out. I I would love that. I'm not joking. I mean, you're just amazing. You're welcome back anytime. We'll talk about your carbs. I mean, really, just to talk to you. All right, Carla, tell everyone how how to get this fantastic book. Thank you. It is available on all the major online booksellers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound. And if you live near an independent bookstore, I would encourage you to go on in there and buy it from them. Isn't that so nice? I get so excited when I go to an independent bookstore and, and I see my book there. It's the, it's the best feeling. I love my independent bookstore. Um, and if folks want to learn more about me, they can go to carlanomberg.com. And that's N-A-U-M-B-U-R-G. All right. Well, before we go, I want to thank nature care now remember women it's time to rethink your period let's say goodbye to plastics perfumes irritating synthetics check out nature care's organic and natural feminine hygiene products are made with chlorine free plastic free biodegradable materials nature care is soft on the skin soft on the environment i love that the range of period products are the number one choice for women looking for sustainable feminine hygiene that doesn't let them down you can get it online or in health stores around the u.s and check them out, NatureCare, that's N-A-T-R-A-C-A-R-E.com. And I want to thank everyone for listening to Naturally Savvy. Andrea is going to be super bummed she missed out on today. We were having some technical issues, so I just want to uh, say she'll be with us next time. And everybody follow us on Twitter, um, at Andrea Donsky, at Your Radio MD, at Naturally Savvy, and at Health Media Gal 1. Thanks for listening, and stay well.